Well, good morning. And if you're a face that I don't know, an extra good morning. And then I guess we're supposed to say good morning to all the people that are going to be watching at home right now and watching later in the week. So yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, Just by way of reminder, we have launched a series that we're calling Praying with Paul. And so the goal of this is we're going to work through Paul's letters with various prayers that he prays over the church. And, and why we're doing this, Paul is really unique in the biblical story. So Paul is this person who, Jesus comes, he is the revelation of God, he's establishing the kingdom of God here on the earth. And then from there, Paul is the person that takes the gospel from the Jewish context and spreads it to the rest of the world. So Paul has a unique vision that God has given him of what the church is supposed to be. So in all of his letters, as he's writing to the churches, he's trying to explain what we're supposed to look like as the people of God. And then on top of that, you've got these prayers that he prays for these churches that give us insight into his heart for who the church is supposed to be. And as we look at them, we can learn A, how we're supposed supposed to pray for the church. There's great insights in here of the right way to pray over the church for what God wants it to become. Um, But B, there's also in here some insight into who we're supposed to be. Um, So through this, we get to learn as we're in this new season of a church, of our church, we get to to look at who is it that God is calling us to be. uh, And this is helping set the scene for what that is. So We looked last week at at Paul's prayer at the end of Romans. We're going to start this week with Paul's prayer in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to read the prayer, um, and then we'll see what God wants to do. So so let me begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is verses 4 through 9. So Paul's prayer says this, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What an amazing prayer. Now, you know, you read that prayer and you get this really nice picture in your head of this wonderful church that Paul is writing to right now. These beautiful people that are going to be spotless at the end. Let's just remind ourselves for a minute the context of Paul's correspondence with the Corinthian church. So you remember how these letters go? This is a church that Paul planted. So Acts 18, Paul's planting the church. And the Bible makes it clear that he spends about three years in Corinth investing in this group of people. So this is a group of people he knows well. He's been foundational in establishing them. He's witnessed the power of God pour out over this group of people. He's labored with them in the gospel. They've seen great fruit in this great and industrious city. And then Paul leaves And he's traveling around, planting these other churches. And then he starts getting reports from this church that he spent so much time with that he loves. And we don't need to go into all the details, but if we just were to look through 1 Corinthians, what goes on right after this? He says all of this and he says, but look at you. If I was Paul, it would be, look at you idiots. Um, 
all these divisions. So you've got this church and they're all arguing, oh, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with this guy. There's all of this division in the church as they're gathering around factions. Who's the right leader? Who's got the best revelation? Who's the most eloquent? And all this fighting inside of the church. He goes on and he's saying, you've got this group of people and they're fighting over how do we respond to eating the meat that's been sacrificed to idols? And some people are saying, you're dishonoring God when you eat that because it's idolatry. Other people are saying, God's had victory over darkness. It doesn't matter. We can eat it. It's safe. And they're fighting. And people are turning away from Jesus. And people are walking out of the church. He goes on. There's sexual immorality in the church. People in the church. One guy sleeping with his stepmom. He's committing adultery with his stepmom. People are going to the temple and engaging in cultic prostitution. Then you've got the church with all of these gifts. They're prophesying. They're praying in tongues. They're seeing miracles happen. And they're doing it in such an unloving way and with so much disorder that the church has fallen out. They're elevating some gifts over others, saying, I'm more important because I can speak uh, with eloquence and I can hear from God. And you're not as important because all you do is over there serving in this, this little menial ministry. And they're fighting. And unbelievers are coming into the context of the church and they're looking at this mess and going, what is this? I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand what you're teaching. There's all of this fighting. And then he finishes in chapter 15 with like this correction of some of them are saying the resurrection's not that important. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. And he's like, no, the resurrection's the center of our faith. So this church is a mess. Let's just, we'll put it there. This church is an utter mess, fighting sexual immorality, immorality, um, idolatry, just a complete mess, right? This is the church that Paul's addressing. So I'm going to read this prayer again. And I want you to see Paul's heart and Paul's posture as he writes to this church that is so far from what God wants from it. So let me read it again. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if that represents our posture when we look at a messy church. Does that represent your heart when you look at a church out there that you think is arguing, fighting, believing the wrong things, advocating for the wrong things. You look at their church and you think, you're so far from the kingdom of God. Does Paul's heart here represent our heart towards those people? And I think most of the time the answer to that is no, it doesn't. Um, So as we're looking at this passage, um, what we're doing is we're looking at how do we pray for the church? How do we pray for our church? How do we pray for the church in the Portland metro area? So the first thing that I want us to pray is pray that we would see with grace lenses. Pray that we would see with grace lenses. Paul is looking at this church that is messed up. Everything is wrong. Uh, I mean, if this was happening in our city, 
There's a city down there. They're all fighting over different leaders. They're sleeping with their in-laws and their parents. They're engaged in prostitution. We would be going, what is this? We need to go burn it down. That, that would be kind of our mentality here. But Paul has grace lenses. He's trained himself through what God has done in his life, through his interaction with Scripture, through the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. He's trained himself to see grace first. Um, so I pray that this would be true of our church, that we would be people that see ourselves, that see one another, see the people round about us with lenses of grace. You know, Right before he prays this, at the beginning of the letter, when he greets the people, he says, you are those who have been sanctified and who are called saints. <laughs> you have been sanctified and are being sanctified and called saints. You are these holy set-apart people. Like, this is the image that he's using to refer to them. Not a messed-up bunch of people who can't get their faith right, but saints, and he can see underneath the brokenness uh, to what God is doing in and through them. So what does this mean for us? It means that we learn, you know, the Bible says that every human being is created in the image of God. So as we walk out into the world, we have to learn to see the image of God in people. Um, what we end up doing is we look at people and we say, I don't agree with your viewpoint. I don't agree with your lifestyle. You're making terrible decisions. Like God can't want you. (laughs) Tends to be the way we communicate. We need to be able to look at people, the homeless person that's begging on the corner and see the image of God in them. Someone uh, who's pursuing a sexuality different from what you believe is right. You have to be able to look at them and see the image of God in them. Someone who espouses political ideology in opposition to what you think is right. You need to be able to look at them and see the image of God in them. And that's the starting place for interaction with them. So that means we don't become one of those churches that we sit here and we say, we know Jesus, we know the right way. All those people out there are lost and messed up and need us. What we say is God is already out there. Those people are made in his image. He's already at work in their lives. Now we go out there and we say, God, where are you at work? What do I see of you in their life? Let us join you in the work of revealing yourself to them. And that becomes such a better posture for engaging the people that he's put around us. The other side of having grace lenses, though, is is how you view yourself. I want to make sure I, I address this. You know, we, we can be really hard on ourselves. I think when, you, when you're in a church that has Bible in its name, usually means that you hold the, the truth of Scripture and the call to live a holy life in high esteem. And what that means is we realize every day how far short we fall and we berate ourselves at how much we fall short of the standard that God has for us. So looking at ourselves with grace lenses means that we look at ourselves and we say, not freedom to go out there and sin, do whatever we want, but we look at ourselves and we say, yeah, I fall short. Yeah, I mess up every day, but God loves me. He's called me to be his. He's placed his spirit inside of me, is dwelling with me, and I get to walk with him every day. So grace for some people is going to say, be kinder to yourself. Be better at speaking the truths that God has laid out in Scripture over your life than the lies that your upbringing and the enemy have been speaking over you. Um, 
For some people, though, grace lenses means that uh, you're maybe being a little lax in your faith. And grace lenses is going to be saying, yes, I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be. But having grace lenses is going to say, I need to step up my game. I need to invest more. I need to uh, give more of myself to Christ. Um, And I need to be more aware of what he's trying to do in and through me and partner with him in that work. So so my prayer, and, and from this, I want us to be praying together that we would be a church marked by grace lenses, that as people walk in these doors, no matter what their background, no matter what their situation, no matter what their beliefs, no matter what their lifestyle, no matter what their identity, that they would encounter the grace of God as we interact with them, seeing their dignity, seeing the image of God in them, and partnering with God to speak the truth of his love and grace over their lives before we ever get anywhere near talking about what it looks like to correct someone's thinking or correct their actions or correct their attitudes. That comes way down the line, and at the end of the day, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in them as they interact with Scripture. It's not our job to be out there correcting them in those areas. So let us be a church marked by grace lenses, seeing the image of God in the people around about us. Let's look at where the prayer goes after this. So he started, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ, these grace lenses. But what did that look like? part of that for Paul. In him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So the second thing that I would, from this prayer, I would encourage us to be praying over our lives, over our church, over the church in this city, is that like the Corinthian church, we would be enriched in every way. Now, as I was thinking about this and thinking about this church, we are a rich church. Do you realize that? Sometimes I think you can look at a church that's diminishing in size and things aren't going the way you'd imagined and you think, we're a dying church. We're a poor church. We're not a rich church, but this is a rich church. I was just thinking, you know, when I look out here, what do I see? I see teachers, counselors, project managers, homemakers, construction experts, engineers, marketing agents, IT experts. There's so many musicians, artists, so many gifts right here in our congregation. And then we've got the added benefit of the gift of a lot of retirees in this church, who are people who have life experience and wisdom, who have a history of operating an industry, and now the gift of time to be able to invest it in the next generation. In this church, we've got people who know the scriptures, this isn't a place where, where I walk in and I have to go, okay, we have to start by, by letting, you know, Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, Jesus was the Son of God. Like, you know the scriptures. Most of you know them inside out. You, you have the revelation of God. You know the Spirit. You know what it is to encounter Him, to respond to His voice, to move in the world. So, so I was thinking, you know, any person in our community that came to faith, And they're starting their spiritual journey and walked in these doors. We have so much to offer them, to come alongside them, to point them to Jesus, to teach them his ways, to show them how to respond to his spirit, to help them identify their gifts. We are a rich church. 
I'm thinking of other friends that have planted churches in this city that are dealing with coronavirus. They're meeting in schools. They're unable to meet right now. We have this facility. We have this building. Uh, we have resources coming in. We have tenants. Like, we're a rich church. Um, and so, so I don't want us to forget the gifts that God has given us right here. And part of our job as we continue this new season is taking stock of the gifts that God has enriched us with. It, it's learning what God has given us to help move this church forward. And it's also asking God to supply what's lacking. And that he would bring in the riches that we need in order to accomplish the work that he has for us. You know, when Paul is, is, is acknowledging this about the Corinthian church, you've been enriched in every way. Remember what Corinth is. It's this port city. It's a very wealthy city. Um, it's a popular city. You've got artisans. You've got craftsmen. You've got philosophers. You've got thinkers. You've got leaders all moving into the city to, to, to gather together, which is often the case with urban centers where they build a, a university and people learn and grow together and you advance society through these places. So this is, this is an area that has material riches. It's an area that has people who are gifted. This is where Paul goes and finds Priscilla and Aquila who know the scriptures inside out. He helps correct some of their thinking and then releases these mighty teachers to carry the gospel forward. Um, so this is a rich place. Um, and Paul is looking at them and saying, I acknowledge these riches as the grace of God in you. Um, and let's see what God wants to do as he uses the gifts he's given us to carry things forward. So you're left with, you know, the, 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 the automatic questions here. What are the gifts that God has given you? What are the talents, the resources that he's placed in your life that are supposed to be used at the disposal of the kingdom? Um, and we're going to have lots of fun together figuring out what those things are and what passions and desires and dreams God has put in this congregation to help us minister to the people around about us. I like my words. <laughs> You've been raised in every way with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge. So, so contextually here, what, what are the gifts that Paul's highlighting? speech and knowledge. So it's not just the ability to talk, but Paul's going to later go on and say, you know, when I came to you, I didn't come with wise and persuasive, eloquent words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So, so he's hinting here at some of the problems that are coming, that they're emphasizing eloquence of speech and eloquence of delivery as one of the most important markers of the Spirit, which is a mark of the Spirit, but it's not at all the most important one. He's talking about them being enriched with all knowledge, and, and they're in a society where secret knowledge revealed by the deities is the height of spirituality. You prove how high and mighty you are by these deep revelations you're getting from the Lord. And, and, and you've got this situation in chapters 12, 13, and 14 when they're receiving these prophetic words. They're fighting over each other. Whose word is most important? Who gets to speak? You start your word. I interrupt because mine is more important. And, and it's just a mess. And Paul is saying, yes, these things are gifts that God has given you. You have people in your midst who are eloquent communicators who can communicate the message of God. You've got people in your midst who hear directly from God and can communicate to you his heart and his his will. But those things need to be put in the right context. 
um, we can elevate those above everything else that God wants to do. And then he says, thus confirming our testimony. And this word, I mean, he's, in this, this whole section, he's playing with this kind of legal language. And when he's talking about confirming, he's saying, I'm proving without doubt. This is like going into court. We're, we're proving evidence that, that God's grace is at work in you. So all of these things that we're seeing are the proof that God is here and at work. And that's going to come up again in a little minute. Um, but we are a rich church. Um, I, I had a friend, I, I almost put it up, but, but I, I didn't want to go there. I had a friend in India message me um, this week, and, and just a, a picture of, of one of the members of his church, and just saying, would you pray for this woman? She's dealing with some mental health issues, and um, here's her living condition, and it's this little like looks like a tiny little outhouse, just bricks stacked together with a sheet over the top, and it's her house. And he's like, she's, there's no electricity, there's no running water, just this little room. I, I should have put it up. But I'm thinking, man, we don't realize how rich we are. Uh, we complain that we don't have enough room in our house, we need an extra bedroom, our kitchen's not large enough, we don't have enough yard space, our internet is not fast enough. <laughs> um, the signal's not good, Netflix is cutting in and out, and you've got people around the world that have nothing. Um, we are a rich, rich church. And we're poised to bless the neighborhood round about us. We're called to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Um, another thing that I'm hoping as we continue to walk together, we will walk in generosity, that it would mark our church. God has enriched us. Let us be people who don't hoard what he's given us, but share it willingly. And that, that means as individuals, but it means us as a, as a corporate entity, that as a church, we would be known more by what we give than what we try and get from the people around about us. The other thing that I think is really important in this, Paul is talking, he's talking about time, talent, and treasures, but at the end of the day, in the context of this letter, he's talking about spiritual gifting. He's talking about the ways that the Spirit is empowering people to serve the church. And here's one of the problems when you start talking about being enriched and having gifts and talents that God wants to use to expand his kingdom in this city. As we get into this posture of, well, I've got my gifts and I need to use my gifts in this way or I'm not being fulfilled in this church. And we start focusing on me. What's my role? How am I being acknowledged? How am I serving? This is what I want to say. Our job is to empower others, not to keep the power for ourselves. So for me, we are winning when young people come in these doors who are eager to serve, we're acknowledging gifts and passions in their life. And we say, rather than me do the ministry, I'm going to help you learn everything that you need to do so that you can learn the ministry. And my role is going to be to walk alongside you and empower you to carry out the work that God has done. And I'll tell you, I'm just going to give the game away. If you're one of those people who can equip other, other people, I will call on you all the time. You can have as much uh, ownership of people in this church as you want because I can trust you to see who God's made them to be, see the gifts and passions he's given them. And, and I would know that if I say, would you meet with this person, that they will walk into who God has called them to be and you'll slowly step aside to let them become who God's called them to be. And who does that look like? 
That's the person of Jesus who came and gave all the glory of heaven up to come and live with us, to sacrifice himself in order that we would have the riches that God intended for us. Christ came to die so that we would be enriched in every way. And then we have to pause with that, and and I'm talking a lot about ABC right now, but this is a prayer for the church. We're talking about right now, Portland, Portland, Vancouver, metro area. This is not just we're a rich church and that we should be enriched, but we want to pray that the churches of Portland would be enriched, that across all of our congregations, with our different focuses, with our different emphases, with our different gifts, that together we would see the fullness, the eloquence, the wisdom, the knowledge, the service, the generosity that would together reach this city and bring the glory of Christ right here. Paul also, I'm going to give this same prayer request for for enriching. I'm going to give it with the, that's kind of the positive statement of it. Let's give the sort of negative reframing of it that he also says in this passage that we're supposed to pray that we would not lack any spiritual gifts. So one he's saying, we're saying pray that we're enriched in every way. So that's the positive. And then the, the kind of flip side of that is that we wouldn't lack anything. So this is the prayer that in this church, we wouldn't lack any spiritual gift. That if we're short on evangelists, that God would uh, raise up evangelists from our midst or draw in people with a passion for for evangelism. If we lack service, that God would put on our hearts an, an empowerment to serve or he would draw in to our midst people with the gift to serve. If we lack material resources that God would stir up in us, uh, people with the gift of giving or draw into our midst, people who have that gift to be able to help fund the work that God wants to do here. So let's pray together that we don't lack anything that we need to accomplish the work that God wants to do here. And we know where God calls us, God never fails to supply. Um, And so this is one of those prayer requests that's kind of like You pray it, but you don't really have to. It's like kind of a politeness to say to God, don't let us lack anything. He's not going to let us lack anything. But part of this process is can we as a church, do we have a a big enough view of God's kingdom? Do we have a big enough understanding of what gifts are necessary? And do we know each other well enough to know where we lack? Do you know what gifts our church lacks? Do you know what gifts we need to be asking them for? Do we know what people we need to be praying walk in these doors to help carry this mission forward? We're back to grace lenses, that we would have the grace lenses to see the gifts in one another, the gifts of the people out there that would help build up what we're doing. But each step of the way requires that person comes in as gifted. That's a threat to me. Gifted communicators mean I don't get to preach every week. Gifted young people with a passion to lead worship mean Dave doesn't get to lead worship every week. Gifted people that want to invest in the youth mean some of the people that like the youth stuff don't get to do it. Gifted teachers that want to help with Sunday school mean some of you have to step back to let them do it. And the question will be, are we willing to self-sacrifice and step back to invest in these people so that the church is being passed to the next generation for generation and generation? That's who we want to be as a church. In all of this, riches, not lacking spiritual gifts, what is the most important one? They're fighting over eloquence and prophetic revelation. What's the most important gift? 
Yeah. We, in this sandwich in the middle, 12, 13, and 14, he's talking about all these gifts and how they work together, and he gets to chapter 13, and it's the one that we know so well because it gets quoted at every wedding. Love is patient, love is kind. But right before that, he's saying, you know, all these gifts, they're all going to disappear. Three are going to remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But let's look at this passage right here. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I'm what? I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I possess to the poor and I give my body to hardship that I may boast but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So this is not a prayer that we would have wealth and gifts and eloquence and revelation. At the end of the day, what we're asking for is love. That we would be marked by love for God and love for one another and love for the people that God places around us. Now, here's the thing. I'm hearing conversations. I hear things that we say. I see ways that we operate, you know. We're out there. We see things. Where's my thing that I need right here? So it looks like this. You know, we're going, I know the right candidate that you should be voting for this election. Or we say, I don't like your lifestyle. It doesn't line up with the gospel. Or we say, your politics isn't what God wants in this world. You need to fix your identity because it's not what honors God. And we walk out into the world without the love that he's given us and we're just a clanging symbol and he's saying let's be the kind of people a church that's enriched with love that we take our eloquent speech we sacrifice self we build up others and that's the church that we're supposed to be a church that's marked by love as the highest of the gifts that we celebrate not our politics not our view on sexuality, not on how we view the Bible, not our view on gender, not our view on uh, justice and protests and police reform, but love being the center of what we focus on and how we mark who we're supposed to be. Let's look at the last part of his prayer. Knowing the Corinthian church, knowing their mess, this, this part just blows my mind. This messy church that is so far from what God wants it to look like. He says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the last one is not so much a prayer request as a praise moment. That we would praise God for his promise that he will keep us firm. He will keep us firm to the end. So I don't know all the, the messes that have existed in this church and its history. I don't know the messes that exist in your life. I don't know yet the sins that you're struggling with, the, the, the besetting issues that you're battling with, the lies that you have to deal with. Um, I know that you've been in a season where you've been looking at the church, wondering if the church was going to survive. Well, here's the promise. God is faithful 
and he will keep us firm. The beautiful thing I said, we'd, co- we'd come back to this, this word, keep us firm, is the same word that he used earlier when he said it, their gifts confirmed the testimony about Christ in their midst. This is th- the word that means there's going to be clear evidence proving their blamelessness. Um, so this is a massive declaration of hope that we get to pray over our city. As we look at the things that we're dealing with in society round about us, as we're trying to wrestle with what does it look like to bring the kingdom of God to Hillsborough, to Portland, to Vancouver, to this area, God promises to keep us firm. As we look at this church, are we, are we dying? Are we living? Are we growing? What's happening? God promises to keep us firm. As you look at the issues you're battling in your life, whether it's gossip, uh, whether it's greed, whether it's lust, the things that you are wrestling with, God promises that he will keep you firm and present you blameless. And I know for some of you, you're wrestling with kids that don't walk with the Lord the way that you dreamed they would. And it looks like they're rejecting him and walking away from them. But what does God say? Look at the Corinthian church. They're messy. They're walking away from Jesus. They're trying to live Jesus. They're living life the wrong way. And he says, I will keep them firm and I will present them spotless and blameless. Um, And our faith is in him as the one who'll do that work. And our job is to partner with him and pour in the love that he wants to pour into their lives so that we're demonstrating to them the love of Christ. The whole Corinthian letter has a pattern to it. Paul starts with this prayer. He addresses all of these areas of brokenness, and he's calling them out. This is what I'm hearing. But each time he responds to the area of brokenness with a declaration of some aspect of the gospel. And at the end of the day, if you were to sum up everything that Paul's saying in the letter, he's saying this, people in the world are looking at your life and this church to see what Jesus is like. They're looking at your life to help them understand what the gospel is. These ways that they were living were antithetical to the gospel. So they were showing a distorted version of the gospel. And he says, by your life marked by love with all of these gifts I've given you, as you live this out with me, then people will see that life with me is richer and fuller than anything else, that Jesus' love is greater than anything else that they could want. And through that process, we earn the right to walk into their life and offer them the hope that they're so desperately longing for. Doesn't matter how messed up you feel, doesn't, how messed, doesn't matter how messed up the church in Portland seems. Doesn't matter how messed up the church in the world, the U.S. in the world seems. God is faithful. And then it finishes with just, for me, it's my favorite part of the whole thing. Why does all this matter? Because he's called us into fellowship with his son. All of this is built on, predicated on, flows from the intimacy that we experience with Jesus. How's that going? Are you falling more in love with him? Are you rejoicing in deeper fellowship with him? Because that's our goal. And all the rest of it flows from that. And everything that we do as we use all the gifts that he's given us, are are helping us to connect with him and connect others with him as we share the depth of our love and devotion uh, with each other.
So I'm going to finish there. Um, we are going to do what I said we'd do before. We'll stick up uh, the homework that I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you to participate in. Um, so uh, w- in a moment, we'll pray together. Um, but here's the, the homework. Take this passage, grab your Bible, or write it on a three-by-five card. Put it somewhere where you see it, and pray this over our church and over the Portland church this week, that we would have grace lenses as we look at the world, that we would be enriched in every way, that we would not lack anything. And praise God that he's going to keep us firm. And then take time to evaluate your own heart. Like, how are you doing with this? Um, are you contributing? Are you generous? Are you empowering others? Or, or is your posture somewhere else? And that's our homework for this week. So um, let's uh, take some time now. We'll do what we did last week. We'll just, um, as you feel led, we'll take maybe 30 seconds just to be quiet and, and, and listen to the Lord. And then as you feel led, just pray some aspect of this prayer. Let's put the, can we put the, the prayer scripture back up? And let's pray the scripture over our body for the, for the next five, ten minutes.